when I was about six years old, uh, my family moved to Lexington, Kentucky. And when we pulled into the driveway of the house where we were going to be living, there was a really cool wooden clubhouse that had been built right behind our house. It was like eight feet by eight feet by about eight feet tall, and it was a really cool structure. Uh, Now that I think back on it, it was kind of a ratty little dump, Uh, and I'm not sure that I would let my kids play in that because you could get all kinds of disease, I'm sure. But man, it looked amazing. When we pulled up, I thought, man, some previous tenant, previous owner looked at this yard and thought, you know what it's missing is a clubhouse. And they built it, and me and my brother got to kind of take part in in fun in that clubhouse. And it was a blast. We had an amazing time. In the four years that we lived there, some of my favorite memories were around things that we did in and around that clubhouse. And sometime during that season of life for me, when I was between like 6 and 10, McDonald's quit giving toys in their Happy Meals, and they started giving seed packets like seeds that you plant in the ground and you get stuff once it grows, which every child wants, I know. And so somebody in McDonald's, I'm sure, got fired after they tried that experiment for a little time. But we got some seed packets. And so I've told part of this story before. We took those seeds and we decided to create a garden on the side of the clubhouse there behind our house. And nobody in my family has a green thumb by any stretch. So we didn't really know what we were doing, but we kind of tilled the ground up right there along the side, along the edge of the clubhouse. And we took, and this is, this is where you know we don't know what we're doing, we took all the seed, every seed that they gave us, a vegetable, fruit, plant, tree, it doesn't matter. We took them all, and we just kind of poured them in that space of dirt. And we were just thinking, hey, something's going to sprout. And I mean, we had fruit and vegetables and different kind of grains and all all kinds of plants and trees. I mean, it was stupid, all the stuff we had. And we just threw it down in the dirt. And we just kind of dug up some spots and we messed it around, threw some dirt on top of it. And we watered it when it hadn't rained in a day or two. And we we were just believing and hoping that something was going to come up out of the ground. And something did. A bunch of radishes. That's all we got. We just got radishes. We didn't get a tree or a plant or a vegetable or a fruit other than we got radishes. And so today when you walked in, you got this little baggie that has a seed in it. And if you don't have one, you can throw your hand up and somebody will bring you one of those. Just so you know, this seed is a radish seed. And so you can take that seed. If you, if you need to throw your hand up, they can bring you one. That You can take that home and you can put that in your yard. And if my experience is going to be your experience, then you're going to get about 60 or 70 radishes from that one seed, uh, potentially. And that's not actually how that's going to happen. But what happened for us is we only got radishes. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, thank God I'm not a farmer. Because if I were a farmer, my family would starve to death. Not because I'm not hardworking, just because I don't know what I'm doing. And so as I look at farmers, as I look at people that actually plant seed in the ground and pull things out of the ground, I don't have that skill set. There's a lot of skill sets I don't have, but I don't have that skill set. And that's troubling to me because when I read the Bible, I find a lot of imagery that the writers of the Bible use related to farming and related to agriculture, and related to things like that. You plant something, and you get something. And I'm again, I just don't have that skill set. But here's what I read in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20 says this, the lazy man, that's not me, that's not why I struggle with this, but the lazy man will not plow because of winter, but he will beg during harvest and have nothing. It's the idea that 
The lazy guy, he doesn't want to do the hard work during the winter, but when it comes time for harvest, he's not going to have anything. That's not my issue, but I just don't, I think I would have nothing during harvest season two, and it'd be for a variety of other reasons. Jesus in Mark chapter four, he tells us that, you know, spreading the gospel is a lot like spreading seed, that there's different types of soil that you can drop that seed into, and some receive the soil, and some kind of turn the seed away. Some receive the seed, and some turn the seed away. And so that's really what spreading the gospel is like. Sometimes you, you kind of lay the gospel out there, and some people receive it, and you lay the gospel out to others, and some people don't receive it. And so he tells us that that's a lot like the kingdom of heaven and the gospel that's being spread. In Galatians chapter 6, the apostle Paul is writing, and this is what he says in verses 7 and 8 of Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul wanted us to know that there was a connection between the seed that we sow and the harvest that we reap. Paul wanted us to know that there was a connection between the seed that we sow and the harvest that we reap. And that confronts, in my mind, two major things that we as human beings struggle with in this idea of sowing and reaping. Now, we don't talk a lot about the words sowing and reaping a lot, except for in certain settings like this, maybe in the church, when we're talking about Scripture, when we're talking about giving maybe, when, we, when we're actually somebody that's kind of a farmer or agricultural in nature, and so we, talk, we understand we sow things and we reap things. But Paul wanted us to know that what we sow is actually connected to what we reap. And to me, as human beings in this century, in this culture, I think that that butts up against two primary ways that we think. And the first one is this, that we want to reap, but we don't want to sow. Like everybody likes to reap something, right? Everybody likes to reap the harvest, take something in, kind of go somewhere and, and gather something. We want to go to the bank, put our card in, and there'd just be money there. And we, you know, how, how'd we get it in there? Who knows? But it's in there. We want to reap that money. We want to acquire something. But we don't always want to sow. Pastor Stephen Furtick, who is a pastor in North Carolina, says this, I have no right to be disappointed about the fruit that wasn't born from the seed I didn't sow. But we are, aren't we? Don't we get disappointed sometimes when there's not a harvest to reap, even though we know we haven't sown any seed into the ground? We haven't sown anything in. When I get to retirement, I want there to be money there, right? I want there to be something that I can use with my wife to travel and to do some things and to have fun and to visit my children and to you know, do a lot of things. But if I don't sow seed now, there's not going to be anything there when I get there, right? And it doesn't have to be large. I've just got to begin the process of sowing seed so that when I get to reap that harvest, it's there. And, and so I have to sow something to reap something. Here's the way that I would summarize it. This is me. Maybe I heard it somewhere. I don't think that I did, but here's the way that I would summarize that. The seed I don't sow can't grow, and I can't reap the seed I keep right? That just makes sense in my head, and it kind of rhymes. I feel like Dr. Seuss when I say it, and so I'm going to say it one more time. The seed I don't sow can't grow, and I can't reap the seed I keep. It's the idea that if I don't sow, I can't reap anything, because there won't be anything to reap if I haven't sown something, and for, for me as a human being, for I think a lot of us, we want to reap, but we don't want to sow. The second thing that I think Paul confronts with this scripture that we read in Galatians 6 is that we want to reap something different than we sow. 
Not only do we want to reap something, but we don't like to sow. Okay, we're willing to sow some things, and it just kind of is a natural byproduct of our lives maybe. But even when we sow something, we want to reap something completely different. But what did he say in Galatians 6 and 7? He said, whatever one sows, that which will he also reap. So whatever you sow, whatever you put into the ground, that's what's going to come out of the ground. And so I just wrote a few examples. These are things that you know, I'm sure. I can't sow apple seeds and expect oranges, right? I mean, that makes sense. Everybody knows this. I'm not teaching you anything. I've already admitted. I don't know what I'm talking about up here. So apple seeds don't go in the ground or don't, you know, and then you get oranges from them. That doesn't make any sense. Whatever I sow is what I'm going to reap. And so that makes sense. So I can't sow this radish seed and expect to reap a bacon-wrapped filet. It just doesn't happen, right? Those two things are not connected. This seed will not produce that. It produces one specific thing. It produces radishes. So let's get really practical for a second. I cannot sow gossip and expect to receive loyalty. I can't sow wandering eyes and half-truths into my marriage and expect trust from my spouse. I cannot sow anger and expect peace. I can't sow unfaithfulness and expect faithfulness. As human beings, I think we struggle because we want to reap something, but we don't want to sow something. And sometimes we want to reap something different than what we've actually sown. And I think if we look at this example, I can't sow apple seed and expect oranges. But I can't, I can't sow anger and expect to reap peace, right? There, there is this idea that what I sow is what I'm going to reap. And so today we're going to conclude this reaction series that we've been in for three weeks. We talked the first week about the church and the response of the church and what the church was and how it functions. And then the second week, last week, we talked about the personal reaction. We talked about who we are as individuals and what it was that God was doing in us and through us. And today we're going to talk a little bit about growth. We're going to talk about growing and what that looks like for us personally and what that looks like for us as a church, and I want to just spend the few minutes that we have together looking at one chunk of text found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible or you've got an app, you can go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Most of the rest of the scripture will be up on the screen if you don't have something to follow along yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is a part of a letter. It's part of two letters that's written by the Apostle Paul to a church, to a group of people in the city of Corinth. And we're just going to read kind of a verse or two at a time and then talk about it a little bit as we talk about this growth reaction. So beginning in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is what Paul says. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Reaping is always connected to sowing, always. We talked about that in the last few minutes. But here's the important thing that I think Paul is trying to get these people in Corinth to understand, that it's not just what you sow, it's how you sow it. It's not just what you sow. You could sow this seed in the ground and you're going to get the fruit of that seed. You're going to get what that seed produces. But if you sow one seed, you're going to get whatever the yield is of that one seed. If you, if you sow a hundred seed, you're going to get the yield of a hundred seed. So if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. It's not just what I sow, but it's how I sow. Verse 7 continues and says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this verse is often used, I shouldn't say often, it has been used in some church services that I'm a part of when people are taking up the offering, right? You, shouldn't, you should give whatever's in your heart. You shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion, but you should give because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, that truth is something that we live by and abide by here at this campus and at both of our campuses of our church. That's why you will hear me say when we're taking up the offering here on a Sunday, you'll hear me say something like this. All we ever ask you to do here is give as giving to God. Whatever he speaks in your heart, you respond in obedience to him and give. Right? Have you ever heard me say that if you've attended here any length of time? Because I've said something kind of like that. And here's what I'm saying. I'm saying 2 Corinthians 9 and 7. I'm saying, listen, it's not my job to motivate you to give nor is it my job to manipulate you to give. You have to give if you choose to do so out of what God is speaking to your heart for you to do. If you believe that God is the giver of all good gifts, then your response will echo that. If you believe that you are the producer of the good gifts in your life, then I believe your giving will kind of reflect that as well. It's not my job to motivate you or manipulate you. Paul is saying right here to these people in Corinth, and we're going to talk about why he's even addressing this with them. But he says, listen, you have to give what you've decided in your heart to give because God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is someone who has of their own accord decided what they're going to give and why they're going to give it and how they're going to give it. Not somebody that said, hey, man, my, you know, my pastor made me feel bad, and so I got to, you know, what do I got in my wallet? I got, I got $2. I'll throw $2 in. Oh, you know, man, I got a 20. I wish I only had a 10. Okay, I'm going to throw the 20 in, and, right? That's not a cheerful giver. That's someone who's been kind of compelled or uh, manipulated in some way to give, and that's not what God wants, and that's why you won't hear that from this stage. That's not my job. We want to provide you the opportunity to worship God in giving, and so that's what Paul is addressing Here, continue reading in verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'm going to read that one one more time. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Here's the truth of that scripture. God meets the needs and he blesses us to be a blessing to others. That word abound that we read there in the last part of that scripture means to exceed. It means to overdo. It means to go above and beyond. And so what he's saying is he says, listen, God's going to bless you abundantly. He's going to bless you beyond what you need so that in all things at all times, in everything that you attempt to do as it relates to the works of your life, you will be able to go above and beyond. You will be able to exceed in that regard. And we're not just talking about finances. We're talking about the blessings of God that come upon your life so that you can accomplish everything that God desires you to do. Let's continue reading in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This harvest of your righteousness, when I read that the first time, I thought, what in the world is he talking about right there? It actually relates to a passage in the book of Hosea. Hosea is in the Old Testament, and this is a, a really great story about a prophet of God who marries a prostitute, and many kind of debate, is that figurative or did it actually happen? But really, it's the story of God saying, hey, I love you in spite of you going and, and giving your love away to others. 
And so whether it was the actual, this took place between two human beings or it was a figurative story, the truth is still the same because he says, listen, here's what I'm doing. I love you even though you have gone and been unfaithful to me. And that is the story of us. That's the story of Hosea. And so when Paul's writing here, he quotes Hosea and he says, listen, when you uh, are looking for those blessings of God, here's what you need to know. God is faithful. God's faithful to provide for you everything that you have need of. And so what did he say? He said, he who supplies seed to the sower and who provides bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He's saying, if you're looking to figure out who God is and you're trying to determine what God does, here's what you need to know. He supplies seed to the sower and he supplies bread for food. He has a track record of faithfulness towards you so that if you are looking to see how God would interact with you, he will provide everything that you need and not just will he supply it, he will increase that. That's important for us to understand when we're trying to figure out the nature of God. Let's read verse 11. And you will be enriched in every way. Everybody say every. You will be enriched in every way. So we're not just talking about money here. You will be enriched in every way, listen to this, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Everybody say every. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So let me kind of help us understand now the full context. We're going to read one more part of this passage in just a second, but let's understand the full context of what Paul is writing and why he's writing it. Paul is writing to a group of people in the city of Corinth while he is no longer with them. And now that he's away from them, they have been sending things to him to help provide for the ministry that's taking place to the group of people he's doing ministry to now. And not only are they providing uh, food, not only are they providing supplies and food and resources to him, they've sent people to him to encourage him. And so what he's saying here is he says, listen, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us. He's talking about through me and my ministry companions, the people that are with me doing ministry. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about missions giving. I want you to think about the people that you may never meet somewhere on the other side of the world that are doing ministry. Let me give you a really great example today of something that happened as a result of, of us and our campus. I have a friend, I tweeted and Facebooked this earlier in the week, but I have a friend that I grew up with. We met each other when we were about 13, 14 years old. We went to the youth group together at our local church. We went to college together. We've stayed close friends. And he is a missionary now in Southeast Asia. He spent time in Thailand and Myanmar. He, he's, in, uh, he, he's done some different things there in Burma where he's, he's helping to train pastors. Um, he's helping to plant churches. He, he's doing amazing things. And so this past week, we were talking, and he said, hey, I want to see if we could FaceTime or Skype or something so that you can help me understand portable church. Now, that phrase may not be familiar to you, but we are doing portable church right now. We're taking over a facility that's not uh, primarily used as a church, and we're making it a church for our use during the time that we're in the building. And so they were meeting in another location, and they had to move, and they met in another location, and they had to move. And so now they were looking around for another place. And in the country where they are doing ministry, Christianity is not something you can just walk up to people and say, hey, do you want to come to my church? Or, hey, do you want to become a Christian? Uh, Because that's not allowed where they're at. And so they were looking for places, and they found a public place to meet, but they weren't sure they were going to be able to do it. And so they found this, like, banquet hall 
that would seat maybe 150 people or so, and that's about the size of their church. It's like a mega church there because most of their churches run somewhere between 30 and 35 people. And so this is kind of a huge church for them in the city, the main city there. And so they went to the owner of this banquet hall, who, by the way, happened to be a Christian. Hello. And they said, hey, we would like to rent your banquet hall. He said, well, I don't usually have people that are meeting in that banquet hall on Sundays. And so, yeah, that's fine. And I'll rent it to you for $80 a month, month, which is just slightly less than we pay here at the school. That's funnier than you gave it credit for. Um, so he, he contacted me and said, hey, I, the context is different. The culture is different. But I need you to help me understand how to do portable church. Well, guess what? You and I have done portable church for 166 Sundays now. 167 weeks ago, I didn't know anything about portable church either. But 166 Sundays in, we feel like we've got a pretty good handle on some of the basic concepts of portable church. I'm sure there's churches that do it better than us, no doubt. But man, we've got a pretty good idea. Okay, here's, here's some things you need to be thinking of. So he and I spent about an hour online this week talking about portable church. Some of the concepts were completely different. But the basic principles were the same. And so here's what I know. They, they started this week, Sunday, today. Now, they're 12 hours ahead of us. So I'm going that way, 12 hours ahead of us. So now they're, um, they're kind of laying down. It's 1130 at night for them. So 12 hours ago, while you and I were maybe going to sleep, they were starting service for their very first portable church service there in the city where they're at. And so I texted him when I got up this morning. I said, hey, how did Sunday number one go as a portable church? And here's what he said. There's lots of room for improvement. But then he sent me this picture, and I showed it to some of our volunteers during our uh, volunteer meeting this morning about 9.30. He sent me this picture, if I can figure out how to work this phone. I've never seen this before. I don't know what, how to do this. He sent me this picture. You're not going to be able to see it, but there's two girls standing up front singing. And there's a bunch of people here, a lot of young people that are standing and listening to them sing and worshiping alongside them. They had 90 people today in a brand new location. And here's, here's what I don't know. I don't know if people received the, the, the message of salvation and they turned their heart to Jesus because they had never, they'd always lived as a sinner and never accepted. I don't know that, but here's what I know. 90 people worship God today, halfway around the world from where you and I are standing. And you played a part in that. Because I got to tell him some things that we've learned in 166 Sundays as a portable church. And what Paul is saying to the people in Corinth here as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, is he said, listen, you've been generous, and because of your generosity, there are people that are giving thanksgiving to God. And so 90 people met in a banquet hall today in Southeast Asia and thanked God and just worshiped and lifted up the name of Jesus because of your generosity. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul is saying here. Listen, whether it's money or it's your time or it's your energy or it's the things that you have inside of you that you can invest in others, he's saying, listen, because of your generosity, you've been enriched. You, don't, you may not even feel like you've been enriched, but you've been enriched with some things that in every way that you can, you need to take that and be generous in every occasion because through us, through other people even, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful truth that God will add to you so that you can add to the ministry 
so that the kingdom can be multiplied. That's a powerful truth. Let's read the last two verses of this passage together. Verse 12 says this, This service that you perform is not only supplying the need of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Notice what he said. He said, others will praise God. Why? For the obedience that accompanies your confession. Your confession of faith, if you are a believer, is not where it ends. Your confession of faith must be accompanied by an obedience to the things that God has enriched you with so that you can give of that, the riches of your life, for the sake of others, so that they can give thanks to God. And he says, for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Others praise God because of the seed that you have planted. Leviticus chapter 19 tells us this. I read this in my soaping this week. The soaping is the Bible reading thing that we talked about last week. And there's some guides at the next steps table if you weren't able to get one last week. We read a passage of scripture and then we write the scripture down. We make an observation. We make an application. And then we write a prayer about that passage. And I was reading in Leviticus 19 this week. And I don't read in Leviticus a lot. But it's interesting when I'm doing the soap how God speaks a specific truth out of maybe one of those passages. It's a part of the, the yearly reading, uh, read the Bible through program that I'm reading right now. And so I was in Leviticus 19, and here's the truth that I read that I'd never heard before. If I was a landowner and I was a farmer, which we've already thanked God I'm not, but if I were a farmer, here's what I would be commanded by God through Moses to do. I'm supposed to go and plant all the way to the extreme edges of my property. I'm supposed to plant the fruits and the vegetables and the grains and all the things that are supposed to exist on my property. I'm supposed to do that. But when it comes time for harvest, I am not supposed to reap the harvest of everything that I planted. I'm only supposed to go into the middle of my property and reap the harvest of the things that exist in the middle and not the things that are around the edges. You can read it for yourself in Leviticus 19. Because what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to leave some of the fruit and some of the grain and some of the vegetables around the edge of my property on the vine and on the tree so that those who are poor, and those who are homeless, those who are widows or those who are orphans can walk by and take off the vine some of the produce of the seed that I have planted so that they can eat. I'd never read that before. So I want you to imagine with me, if you can, a poor homeless man that lived in the time that the children of Israel were establishing the law. And he's walking along one day, and he doesn't know where his next meal is going to come from. And he comes up to the edge of the property of this farmer who believes in the ways of God, Jehovah God, who has established the law for his people. And this man's walking along, and he's hungry, and he sees up in the tree, he sees an apple. And he reaches up, and he takes an apple into his hand, and he eats. And now he's you know, kind of fulfilled and his belly's a little fuller than it was a few minutes before. Now here, what I want you to imagine with me is the two things that that homeless, poor, hungry man would be thankful for. What would he be thankful for? He would be thankful for the apple. 
He would be thankful that there was something up in the tree, that the landowner listened to the promises of God and did not reap all of the harvest for himself, but he took the apple and he left it in the tree so that someone could walk by and take that apple and eat it for themselves. He would be thankful for the harvest. But if he had the ability to think all the way back through the process, he would also be thankful for the seed. Because if the farmer never planted the seed, there never would have been a harvest. And so I think that man, as he eats the apple, if he's aware, if he's really thinking in his right mind, he's not just thankful for the harvest. He's also thankful for the seed. That farmer probably wasn't thinking about that when he was planting seed. He was just thinking, I got to provide for my family. I got to put seed in the ground and hopefully reap a harvest so that my family can eat and we can be provided for. He wasn't probably thinking about someone that he'd never met and may never meet who would benefit from the seed that he placed into the ground. But there was a man who walked by and was able to eat because there was a man who planted a seed. That's what Leviticus 19 tells me. But that's what Paul's been telling me all along in 2 Corinthians 9. Because he said to me that when I plant seed, it will yield thanksgiving from others. Who was the last person that was thankful for seed you planted? Who was the last person that was thankful to God that you sowed a seed? Maybe it was a financial seed. Maybe you invested in someone who was going to go on a missions trip and they experienced a life-changing couple of days somewhere around the world or here in the United States because you sowed a seed into their trip. Maybe it was someone who was out of work and they were having trouble paying the bills and you found out about it and without them knowing, you just bought some groceries. You just called up a company and paid a bill for them on their behalf. You just sowed a seed into their life. Maybe it's not financial. You took the time. You had a thousand other things that you could do and a thousand other people that needed some of your time and your attention. But there was someone that needed something that you had. Someone that needed to know something that you knew. And so you just paused your to-do list and you paused your schedule. And the things that you'd been enriched with, you enriched them. You sowed a seed. Who was the last person that was thankful for the seed you planted? Paul told the people of Corinth, he said, there are people who are thankful for you and they don't even know you. But they're thankful for you because you sowed a seed and they came to Christ. That's what we want. That's what we want as a church. Some of you have been so faithful in your giving financially that you have allowed us to do ministry and to do outreach in different ways over the last three plus years. And people have come to Christ because of the seeds that you've planted. Some of you have gotten up early on Sunday mornings, the only day you had off, to come into this school and transform it into a place of worship and to create kids' spaces. You sowed a seed. And somebody met Jesus because you sowed that seed. Growth doesn't just happen. 
Like we want it to, we think that it just does. We just want to reap growth because we want it to just happen, but growth doesn't just happen. A seed is planted somewhere that begins to grow and start the process of growth that continues, but you can always trace it back to the seed. Always. Growth doesn't just happen because the seed I don't sow can't grow. And I can't reap the seed I keep. So for you personally, I want you to think about this. For you personally, I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what it is that's going on in your life right now and what you hope to reap. I don't know what you hope to harvest. I'm not sure what it is you're looking for in your marriage and in your relationship with your kids and the things on your job. And we've talked about some of these principles before, even in recent months. But here's what I want to ask you. What are you sowing into your marriage? I mean, if you want to reap something specific, trace it back to the seed. What seed produces that harvest in your marriage? What are you sowing in your marriage? What are you sowing into your kids? What are you investing in them? What are you spending your time helping to cultivate in their soul and in their heart and in their lives? What do you want to reap in their lives? Trace it back to the seed. What do you have to plant to reap that harvest? What are you sowing into your finances? I referenced retirement, but maybe it's something else. Maybe you need to get out of debt, and maybe you want to have a nest egg somewhere. Maybe you want to take a trip. What are you sowing in order to reap that? What are you sowing into your finances? What are you sowing into the church? I know I'm the pastor guy, and so it might sound a little, you know, personally, you know, advantageous for me to ask that question, but you're here. I don't know how you got here necessarily. I don't know why you got here. I don't know who brought you, who invited you, or how you saw the sign and just showed up, or I don't know. But you're here. What does God want you here for? What is it that God's trying to accomplish in and through you? What are you sowing into the church? For this church, for this campus of Mount Perrin North here in Canton, I want you to hear my heart. We want people to live Christ-centered lives. We want people to come into a knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We want sons and daughters who have wandered off to come home. We want marriages that are destined for destruction to be restored. We want broken people to be healed. We believe God is calling us into a reaping season. I believe God is calling us into a reaping season. A season where the harvest is going to be realized more fully than we've even realized it to this point. God's done incredible things over the last three years and we've seen incredible things and we've heard amazing stories and I believe that is just the tip of the iceberg. And I don't believe it's because we're moving to another location or we're moving to a building. I sense in my spirit that God is bringing us into a reaping season. But growth doesn't just happen. You got to plant a seed. You got to take what you've been enriched with and invest it in such a way 
that it will produce a harvest. If we want to grow, we have to sow. If you want to grow personally, I believe you have to sow seed personally into your life and into the relationships that you have and into your job and into your church. I believe that if we want to grow, we have to sow. And for us as a church, for us as a campus of a local church here in Canton, if we want to grow, if we want to experience the reaping season that I believe is coming, we must sow a seed. And here's what I wrote down. You don't grow from eating all your seed. You take this out and you eat it, you may not even realize it passed through your mouth into your stomach. Right? I wouldn't. You don't grow from eating seed. You grow because you plant seed. And it produces a harvest. If we want to grow, we got to sow. For you personally, I am praying that today the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to challenge you to sow amazing things into the places of your life where you desire to reap a harvest. In your home, in your family, in your marriage, in your kids, on your job, that you are just challenged to sow seed into those things, to invest your time, to invest financially, to give of yourself in the places that you've been enriched and to invest those things so that you can reap the harvest that you desire. And for us as a church... My prayer today is that next Sunday when we gather to take up this Make the Move offering, that we won't see it as just the church trying to get money, but we would see it as sowing seed into the harvest that's in front of us. That we would say, God, you've led us to this place, and we believe that you are guiding us to another place physically, but also spiritually. And I'm telling you out of my heart that I believe it's there. We're headed towards this reaping season. But if we want to get there, we've got to sow a seed. And so today, we just want you to take these seeds home. Maybe put it in your Bible, put it in your car, put it on your counter, put it on your refrigerator. And be reminded. Be reminded. That if you want to grow, you got to sow. In every area of our lives. And here's what I know. Here's what I believe with all of my heart. There are people that you and I have never met. That in the coming months, in the coming years, they're going to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because you sowed a seed. That's what Paul tells us. He says, thanksgiving to God is being produced because of your obedience that accompanies your confession. Let's pray. God, I thank you today that you give to us your word. You entrust to us your riches. You challenge us with the truth. Growth does not just happen. 
Growth is a byproduct of seed that's been planted and grows by your sovereignty because you see it fit. It's the systems that you've created in this world. And so God, for every person in this place, personally and corporately as a church, I pray that we would plant good seed. That we would understand what you have enriched our lives with, what you have entrusted to us, and we would take those things and invest them into the relationships of our lives, the families that you've given to us, the jobs that you've given to us, God, the church that you have given to us. Let us sow good seed so we can reap a great harvest. Let it be so for every person in this room. Let this week be a week that we sow seed. So that in due season, we would reap a harvest. In Jesus' name we pray.